to the Progressive Commentary Hour. Each week at this time, we select a single topic, and then we go into it in depth. I always try to bring some of the world's leading proponents of positive change on, so that at the beginning of the program, I'm going to lay out some questions and then let the guest talk uninterrupted, and then add on from there. My goal is by the end of this program, you will feel empowered. You will know new things, new insights. You'll have solutions to problems, possibly that you didn't even know existed. Today, the theme is, the larger theme is, what is happening to our economy, to our savings, to our expenses, to our quality of life, to our standard of living, to the job markets? What role does the United States uh, and its corporate interest have in this? There are whole industries that are really profitable, providing that you can't pay your bills. This is vulture capitalism at its worst, and yet these people are respected and praised for their acumen. After all, think of it for a moment. A payday loan that you cannot pay and just keeps being rolled over and compounding the interest, by the time you pay it off, you may pay a thousand percent interest. That's more than organized crime charges and loan charging. How did that happen? by buying legislators, and that's unfortunate. In fact, I believe that all the legislators should, with a new dress code, and they just approved a new dress code, have a dress code much like NAS, uh, NASCAR. You know, so they put up here uh, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, um, which media are sold out. So you have to wear this. So when people look, oh, you're completely captured, you're totally biased. I shouldn't trust anything you're saying. Your opinion is worthless. To the contrary, uh, almost everything that I thought was true is not, if I learned from you. And that's the real world we live in. So who's looking after you? Not the government. Well, let's put it a different way. Over the last 50 years, 50 years, that's a lot of different administrations, conservative, liberal, uh, controlling the executive branch and the House, the Senate, how many cities in America have been de-ghettoized? How many Rust Belt cities have had new industry coming in and then rehiring people that once worked there, been unemployed or marginally existing? And how many of those industries are giving a living wage, not minimum wage? How many of the billionaires like Jake Bezos, who's one of the wealthiest men in the world, one of the five wealthiest, are giving all the workers at their uh, at their stores, warehouses, a living wage with health benefits. It's not happening. Why not? They can afford it. Give more of the profit to a person helping you make the profit doesn't diminish your, your overall status. No, that's not the way it works. So the very things that happen in our lives we have no control over, like the banks going broke, the insurance companies going broke, Major industries like General Electric, General Motors going broke and all needing bailouts. Who gives them bailout money? We do. Well, how's that a good thing? It's not. For them, it is. So, you mean all the people that caused the 2008 crash, they made all bad business decisions, we bailed them out? Well, how much did they bail us out? Zero. Not a penny. That does make sense. It makes perfect sense once you understand the system. And that's where my guest comes in. He is a renowned worldwide respected economist, Professor Michael Hudson. And he's here to share his insights into all these different pieces of the puzzle. And that's what we have. We have pieces of a puzzle. And we're going to break it all down for you now. Nice to have you with us today, Michael. Well, it's good to be here. We've seen the American, British, and European Union efforts to try to sabotage BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, and their expansion before the South African BRICS summit in order to curtail other nations from joining the coalition. 
I'm thinking of the State Department's attempt to dissuade the European, uh, let's say, United Arab Emirates, from uh, which failed, by the way, and BRICS nevertheless expanded to an additional six countries, which collectively comprises 47% of the world's population and 80% of the world's crude oil. And what we're witnessing is an alternative economic world order that will compete with the G7 led by the United States. In comparison, the G7 only represents 10% of the world's global population, but does represent about 30% of the world's gross domestic product. However, just last week I saw that the United States' gross domestic product, meaning all the money that we bring in from all sources, was $26 trillion. China, on the other hand, was at $20 trillion, a huge increase in the last 10 years. So unless I'm mistaken, in the very near future, the next year or two or three, China could pass the United States just one-on-one. -on -one. It already has passed it in totally manufacturing. So what does this mean? Since the mainstream media is always downplaying BRICS impact and maintains the West's unipolar world hegemony. However, during Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's speech at John Hopkins, he acknowledged the world has entered into a multipolar order. He stated, one era is ending, a new one is beginning, and the decision we make now will shape the future for decades to come. But he also declared the United States would maintain its hegemonic position, which seems to me to indicate that nothing substantial has really changed in Washington's thinking. And as expected, he made it a point to attack Russia and China for fueling global autocracy. So my overarching question is, is it still in our mindset that America is now and will remain in the future the exception to all other rules? Will the dollar still remain supreme? Can people have confidence that they buy a home or stock or bonds, anything pegged to the value of the dollar, that if BRICS exceeds the United States gross domestic product, that somehow the dollar will be adversely affected? Because most people are clueless about this. So I'm going to keep quiet now and let you unpack all this about where we're going, where we're at, why we should be concerned or not. The forum is yours. Well, actually, Gary, there's an interesting link between the first comment you made about people running into debt and falling into arrears to the credit card companies uh, and uh, the relationship between U.S. and China. It may surprise people to know that uh, the more you fall behind in your debt, the more penalties you pay on your credit cards, the more GDP goes up. All of this is counted as an increase in national income. The charge for late fees is counted as providing a financial service uh, to the United States. So uh, more and more of uh, the, uh, what the United States counts as national income or GDP takes the form of financial penalties or rising pr house prices. If you have to pay more for your house or if you're a renter uh, and have to pay more, all of that rent is considered GDP. Uh, when people get sick uh, for the, the COVID crisis, that's really helped GDP because medical uh, uh, service in the United States is 18% of GDP. So it, it turns out that if you actually deconstruct the national income accounts here, uh, you in what you think is a chart going up and up and up is actually tapering off. And all that going up and up is what's called economic rent, that is a transfer payment from renters to landlords, from debtors to creditors, or from uh, consumers to monopolists. It's all land rent or monopoly rent or uh, financial charges. And uh, this is uh, how the American economy depicts itself as growing. Uh, the only growth is really for the wealthiest 10% of the economy. And uh, the uh, statisticians say, well, the wealthiest 10% of Americans are getting so much richer so fast that that makes up for the fact that the bottom 90% actually are uh, uh, shrinking. 
Well, that's why you have these hilarious uh, uh, editorials in the New York Times and the, the Democratic Party saying, why are people so confused? Why don't why do they keep believing their experience of going to the stores? And why do they look at their own life instead of looking at what the GDP tells them? That gross national product is soaring. These are great times for America. Why won't people just think that Bidenomics is working? Well, <laughs> the, uh, that's the real question. What are you going to do? Look at your own experience? or look at what uh, economists say, uh, the economy is growing, which is the economy of the 10% that you're paying. And you're probably not one of them if you're listening to this show. Well, how does this have to do with the BRICS uh, uh, and what they're doing? How is it that the United States and Europe with uh, just a fraction of the world's population can say, well, we're going to make the, uh, the rest of the world uh, uh, do what we want them to do because we're just not going to trade with them. We're going to impose sanctions uh, if they don't do what we want. And uh, so they impose sanctions uh, for on countries like Venezuela and Iran and then with uh, Russia. And now they're talking about uh, extending this to China and, uh, the, and uh, the third world countries or the global south or the global majority as uh, they're now being called, uh, how can a tiny population isolate uh, the global uh, majority saying, well, we're not going to send you, sell you things that you need anymore, like key computer parts or food? Well, when you sanction a country uh, like the United States is doing to Russia uh, and China, the first effect of any sanction is you force the country to either give up and fall apart and say, well, I'm sorry, if we can't buy from you, we're just going to fall apart uh, if we can't depend on you. Well, they're depending on themselves. And very quickly, Russia has uh, all of a sudden uh, moved from a grain deficit country and food deficit country to a huge food exporter. Uh, China uh, said, well, all right, you won't sell us the uh, computer chips uh, that, that we need for our information technology. I guess we'll have to just make them here. And they've got uh, many more patents on computer chips than America has. And they produce uh, most of the rare earths and the, the other raw materials that are needed for producing information technology. So while the United States thinking, well, we're just not dealing, we're not trading with these countries anymore, all it's really doing is isolating itself. It's as if uh, the United States has uh, acted on behalf of China, Russia, Iran, uh, the BRICS, Africa, Latin America, uh, and says, well, uh, we know that uh, the way to really develop is for the, uh, to have a mixed economy with the government uh, taking the lead in protecting industry and uh, subsidizing industry, as we did in America in the 19th century, as uh, Germany did in the 19th century, as England has been doing all along. So uh, we know that uh, if you want to get richer and develop, develop you have to pr uh, produce all of your own essentials so you're not dependent on anyone. That's always been the main aim of American policy, not to be on anyone. Well, other countries were not following America's example, so America's helped them out and saying, well, uh, you won't protect your industries. We'll, do the, we'll raise the uh, trade barriers for you. And uh, it's uh, isolated uh, China, Russia, and the immediate response is, ah, now we can produce our, our, uh, our uh, uh, industrial products and our information technology and our food uh, ourselves because there's no more American and European competition to undersell our producers. And without American and uh, European uh, competition for key uh, high technology uh, 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 products, uh, they, uh, they've they developed their own independence. And once you lose a market for something that is absolutely essential, like oil or rare earths or natural gas or fertilizers uh, or computer chips, uh, once you lose it to foreign producers, you don't get it back. 
because uh, ever since uh, last uh, 19, uh, uh, 2022, when America grabbed Russia's for, uh, foreign exchange reserves held in the West, 300 billion, other countries are saying, well, how do we avoid having our assets seized? The United States is going to uh, just sort of uh, grab whatever we have in the West and, as you said, uh, divide the world into two parts. Uh, the rest of the world was actually getting rather lazy outside of the United States. They, uh, If they would have acted in their self-interest, they would have done to themselves just what the United States is doing to them. They would have uh, isolated uh, their uh, uh, industry and protected agriculture, protected uh, their uh, food production, protected their uh, industry. Uh, and now the United, but they, uh, that would have really involved all working together with other governments and creating their own trading area and avoiding the use of the dollar by creating new means of uh, settling their uh, uh, balance of payments and their trade and investment with each other. That was an enormous intellectual task. And uh, the, the economics uh, really couldn't change uh, the shape of uh, uh, the world in this alternative economic system until they had some sort of motivation to do so, and the motivation had to lead them to think through, what kind of an economy do we want? Do we want an economy like the United States, where uh, all of the uh, economic surplus is paid uh, to the financial sector, the insurance sector, and the real estate sector, uh, and the monopolists? Or do we want an economy where the economic surplus uh, is used to raise living standards of labor, to in, improve uh, the whole uh, quality of our citizens, to make uh, our labor more productive, to make our our uh, our, la our uh, wage earners better fed and better housed and better educated. Uh, do, do we want to provide free education for everybody so we have an educated population? Or do we want to do what the United States does and make you go into a lifetime of debt? in order to get a, a, a college degree and a, a graduate degree. Uh, do we want to provide free medical care to keep everybody healthy? Or do we want to uh, turn it over to monopolies and our uh, private drug companies uh, to make huge uh, profits and people are going to have to go deeply into debt or even lose their homes if they get sick? Uh, they, do we want to provide housing as a, as a, a basic uh, public utility, as a human right? Everybody needs health, they need education, they need a place to live. Well, you've seen uh, that's what uh, China's doing, that's what uh, other, uh, the other leading uh, BRICS countries uh, are doing, and that's how, that is how the rest of the world is developing uh, without uh, uh, needing uh, or depending on the United States uh, any longer to uh, supply their basic needs. Well, once they become independent, once they do what they're doing and producing their own uh, key basic needs, what can the United States uh, do, and where does that leave the United States and Europe? It turns out that by trying to isolate the whole rest of the world, it's isolated itself and uh, and uh, uh, Europe along with it. And uh, the head of the European community, Joseph Borrell, has said, well, this is a split between the garden and the world, and he calls uh, uh, Europe and the white people are the garden. Uh, and all of the non-Anglo-Saxons, uh, uh, and they don't, I'm not sure, uh, uh, the government, that, uh, the Americans are uh, supporting uh, the statement that Russians and Slavs are not white people anymore. They're uh, a different race. Uh, uh, that is the uh, what Zelensky says again and again. He comes and says it in Canada, and the MPs all uh, clap. He says it to Congress, and they say, yes, treat treat the uh, the Russians and the Chinese the way uh, your Nazis uh, uh, treated uh, the Poles and the Jews. Uh, it's all the same thing. We, we need that antagonism. We need that hatred in order to mobilize you against them to sort of force them to say, we don't want to fight. We're going to let you do to us and Russia and China what you did 
to Russia under Boris Yeltsin. Uh, uh, sell off all of your oil wells and your electric utilities and your roads and your housing to American uh, buyers and uh, make uh, uh, your stock market once again the leading stock market in the world as Russia became in 1994, 5, and 6. Uh, is uh, all of the kleptocracy and uh, gravitization uh, occurred. Well, that's, uh, that's the other image that America is forcing the world. But how can it make other countries follow it anymore? There's, uh, you've seen in the last year a change of consciousness. And that's what uh, doesn't show up in the economic statistics. A change of consciousness is when you you've, uh, think differently about what is an economy all about? Is it about uh, labor producing goods and services and uh, earning enough money to buy them and having a circular flow that uh, uh, they grow uh, uh, richer as they grow more productive? Or is it you're going to leave uh, all of the uh, public utilities in other countries, you're going to privatize not only education and uh, health care, but uh, you're going to privatize uh, transportation and uh, the communications, and uh, uh, you're going to make monopolies because monopolies add the most to GDP under the American uh, uh, national income accounting concepts. You're right now having uh, in, con uh, 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 in the courts an antitrust investigation against uh, Google. And uh, the, uh, the Google has said, please keep all of this quiet. Uh, we don't want the public to know, because if the public saw uh, the documents that the prosecutor is uh, using to show that we're a monopoly, they're going to be so angry that they're going to insist that all the monopolies in America be broken up, just like Teddy Roosevelt did a century ago, just like uh, the, uh, the Roosevelt administration did in the 30s. You have to keep these trials secret, and you have to keep all of the documentation secret and not talked about and uh, uh, the uh, media the New York Times and other uh, newspapers tried to bring a legal case saying wait a minute the American public has a right to know the evidence here and the judge ruled against them saying no no the uh, uh, the, the courts and American law supports the 10% against the 90% look at the American Constitution it's all very clear there uh, as James Madison said the one great danger of America would be democracy and that's what you're seeing now well just while the Google trial uh, from anti-monopoly trials on you have the anti-monopoly trial against Amazon so all of these all of a sudden uh, everything is uh, being turned over to the courts and the uh, uh, Fortunately, uh, for the uh, the monopolists, they've uh, been able to uh, uh, promote uh, Supreme Court justices that are probably going to uh, side with them and uh, do, uh, say that the quickest way for America to get richer is to make labor poor. Because if you can make labor poor, if you can squeeze its living standards, then uh, uh, corporate profits will go up. And if corporate profits go up, they'll use these profits to buy their own stocks and push up stock prices. And they will pay higher dividends. They're not going to make new capital investment and build new means of production. That's old uh, industrial capitalism. But they are going to uh, make uh, stockholders and bondholders uh, much richer uh, because there's a, uh, there's a class war. And as Warren Buffett said, the, uh, we, the, the billionaires, uh, are winning it. So essentially, the United States has this model that it's uh, too embarrassed uh, to let uh, the public, not only in America, but in the rest of the world, understand how, the, uh, how all of this GDP and national income is being created in the United States. That's one model. And the other model is what uh, uh, Russia, China, uh, India, uh, the, the other BRICS, Brazil, the other BRICS countries are all spilling out uh, is uh, saying uh, it doesn't have to be this way. That is, it doesn't have to be the way that the American uh, neoliberals and the American neocons want uh, an anti-government libertarian market where if, uh, if uh, libertarian and a free market means free of government regulation free of government taxation of the rich. It's uh, the, Whenever you hear the word freedom or free, 
You want to ask, freedom for who? And the freedom they're talking about is not the freedom of the uh, citizens, wage earners, and uh, people who have to work for a living. It's freedom for the people who don't want to who don't want to work for a living, who want to be coupon clippers if they're, uh, they own stocks or bonds, or uh, monopolists or landlords, so uh, who really make money in their sleep. So mo more and more of American wealth is made by a class that makes money in its sleep, not by working and being awake. And the whole question is, what's the rest of the world going to do? Is the rest of the world going to say, uh, imitate this and say, well, we're going to create a class of uh, our own that make money in their sleep and don't work and uh, uh, off, living off labor? Or are they going to be responsive to their overall populations? That's what the, the split is all about. And as uh, you, you pointed out, uh, and uh, President Biden pointed out, this fight's going to take 30 years. This is not about Ukraine. This is, uh, this is about how the future of the world is going to work and whether you're going to have a mixed economy of uh, government uh, uh, public utilities uh, uh, providing uh, uh, subsidized public services and private enterprise uh, being able to work with uh, the support of government or you're going to get rid of government and let Wall Street be the central planner instead of government uh, uh, planning. Uh, and uh, the libertarians say, we, we do want a centralized uh, economy, but we want a centralized planning in the hands of Wall Street and the financial sector, not the government, not labor, not, uh, not industrial corporations, but the financial corporations that are running things. So that's really where what makes uh, today's finance capitalism quite different from what anybody had expected a century ago when they were looking at industrial capitalism. That's what uh, basically all of my books are about. I appreciate that overview. Thank you very much. I'm going to bring several pieces of the puzzle together and then ask you to give us your insight of the significance of each. Because historically, if we even suggested that there were more powerful people behind the scenes making money off money, and these are the very same people, many of their corporations, were the ones that deindustrialized America. Because there was a time in the 1950s and 60s where we were the envy of the world. We made Maytag, we made Hoover vacuum cleaners and uh, Singer sewing machines and Fords and all types of appliances and cars. And we not only made them, we made them well. Uh, people were proud of that, much like the Germans made their the best they could, the Swiss, the Japanese, etc. But we dominated. And then starting around the mid-1970s, a phenomenon occurred. There was a group of five people, T. Boom Pickens, who just died, I believe, uh, last year, and Carl Icahn, who's still alive, a billionaire, and uh, also uh, Saul Steinberg, who made his money in insurance, and uh, Ivan Botsky, um, and there was one other. Um, in any case, they made their money, but then they started realizing, we don't have to build factories. We don't have to hire hundreds of thousands of people to make a product. We're going to first do what was called green blackmail. In other words, we're going to buy up enough stock in your company that we could get on the board, and that's going to scare you, and you're going to give us a lot more money than what we paid in to get out. Okay, for a couple of years they did that. Then they started creating these equity deals a group of people who would put up capital and then get a bridge financing, like GE Capital, where one of my friends was vice president, had 500 employees under her, and they would find companies that had been really well run, that were very profitable, had almost little or no debt, and had been there for generations. So a grandfather, a father, and a son could all work throughout their entire career in one place. And they bought these. And then... Not long after that, they began to take all the profit for themselves as fees, all perfectly legal, but not at all ethical. You couldn't find an article written about them in any of the major publications. I couldn't. I looked in Wall Street Journal. I looked in Forbes and Fortune and, and uh, the Economic Times. I looked in all these, the economists. They weren't being condemned. To the contrary, they were being praised. One of the guys who was the head of the biggest one at the beginning became the president of P 
PBS's local station board. Another one, Sharon Rockefeller, the Rockefeller family, became head of the station board in Washington, D.C. I know this for a fact. So then we started seeing why, why risk opening a business? Why not just buy the means by which everyone else has to use us or we can manipulate it? We can control the wholesale prices. So the farmer at one time grew a crop, got a fair market value, and then had enough money left over to pay for the expenses of that year, insurance, seeds, tractors, etc., and then was able to plant the next crop. Now they were all having to mortgage themselves because other people were coming in and saying, this is all you're going to get for a bushel basket of corn or soy or wheat. And frequently, it wasn't enough for them to have any profit left over. Bankruptcies soared, and especially when the interest rate went up far higher. And that was the government. That was Federal Reserve under Volcker. 22, 23%. Well, farmers didn't even make 22%. They went bankrupt. And their sons and daughters didn't want to stay in the farm anymore. It was a legacy that was ending. So, not to worry. Industrial farmers will come in and save the day. Now, today, we have all these pieces. We did it in Richard Gell and I spent two years looking behind the scenes to ask, who owns Pepsi-Cola, Coca-Cola? Who owns Pfizer and and uh, Eli Lilly. Who owns ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox? Uh, who owns Disney? And we found that virtually every major industry, the, the petrol industry, um, the with gas, hydrofacking, oil, nuclear, the food industry, like cargo, the and Nestle, the media industries, the educational industries, every single industry in in the United States were owned by a relatively small group of people. In fact, so small that until a year ago, year and a half ago, the average American never heard of them because their name wasn't emblazed in, in on the front of a building or it wasn't you know, monikered over every product. They were silent. But these people were very smart and very rich. So smart and so rich, they got the government uh, and they got the, these funds, let's say teachers' pension funds, police officers' pension funds all over the United States to put all that money that people have been saving, give it to them to manage. BlackRock, State Street, Berkshire Hathaway, Fidelity, and Vanguard. And the two biggest are Vanguard and, and, uh, and BlackRock. But who's the largest owner in most corporations? These six people. They own enough stock they can control the board of directors in the direction of the company. Hence, you think you have competition. Hence, you think you have, I've got some choices. I've got freedom of choice. No, you don't. You think you do, you don't. And they're very smart. They give money to the Democrats and Republicans. Doesn't matter to them who's in office. They could care less. They care about profits. So when you have anything involving profits or loss, watch which side of the ledger they're on. Almost always the profit side. And they have all inside information because they control thousands of companies. They control the board of directors. They frequently have interlocking boards. So they know when a company is going to be not doing good and have to be sold, they get out. They know when another one is going to be the next hot ticket, they're in. Who do you think controls right now all of the major artificial intelligence uh, companies out in Silicon Valley and around the world? They do. Not just in the United States. You go to South America, you go to Europe. The corporations there, they also, the banks, they control. They control Citibank, they control J.P. Morgan Chase. And what the bank has is chump change. Some of these companies have 10 to $20 trillion in assets that they can manipulate. That gives them a huge amount of leverage. So you never hear anything bad said about them. Because who wants to risk that? Only when someone from the inside tells us. So that's the silent hand. But now you've got another big group that we didn't have five years ago. No one ever heard of the World Economic Forum. Oh, except those people like Barack Obama and Justin Trudeau and Angela Merkel and the head of Argentina's president and their cabinets, who all were their young world leaders 20 years ago. Well, who are these people? They're unelected. They're called the Davos people. 
So now the devas have an idea. You will own nothing. And when we say you'll own nothing, we mean you will own nothing. Your car you won't own, your house you won't own, your condo, your condominium, you won't own these. No. Well, then who will? Well, they don't tell you that. They're not shareholders, they're stakeholders. And the stakeholders are BlackRock and Vanguard. They own whole industries. So when you can't pay your mortgage because the interest is so high, and you were mentioning interest, they're the ones who are charging that interest. They control everything. They control the Federal Reserve. So now one day you wake up and you're foreclosed on. Who gets that? Well, the banks, but who owns the bank? The people behind it. So what happens is your house one day ends up being rented out. Hundreds of thousands of homes are purchased when people go bankrupt and then they're rented out. Do you have a superintendent in case my pipes break in the wintertime? No, no, no supers. That's on you. What kind of rent are you going to charge me? As much as we can squeeze out of you. Wow. What if I don't want to do this? Well, I think you will. Why? Well, because something relatively simple. You see, you have debt. In fact, as you mentioned, Michael, they've, they've created economic alchemy. All the people now are so poor that they have to use their credit cards. They have no disposable income. They have no savings. So when they go to buy gasoline, food, pay rent, pay a bill, they're doing it on their credit cards. But hold on a second. If I understood what you said, all of this debt that people are trying to pay to get just basic essentials of life, that's considered an asset. Wow. Well, that's a fraud. So that means that our real gross domestic product, if you take out all the poverty that's involved in that, take out all the debt payments that are involved in that, then we're not as powerful and rich as the world is led to believe. So then you, you say, well, gee whiz, behind the corporations and their boards and behind all the lobbyists and the consultants, behind the NGOs and the foundations, behind all of the analysts, behind the media, which they control completely, behind the politicians, which they can have, have controlled, left or right, doesn't matter. You have a handful of individuals in the corporations, collectively, somewhere between 40 and $50 trillion, an un unimaginable amount of money. And they know how to use it, and they do, but not to our benefit. So you're poor, we're going to help you. We're going to give you a guaranteed $2,100 every month to live off of. So you have a guaranteed, guaranteed income. That's more I want to make it now. In fact, I'm unemployed now. See? Well, you're still going to allow me to have some benefits? Of course we will. But we're going to own everything else in your life. Oh, and I know you're going to get a little anxious. We're going to give you the Soma headphones and the headsets. You've got a thousand different programs. Today, just sit back. Dr. Harari will tell you how you're worthless and useless. You're just eaters. Besides artificial intelligence that we own and control and transhumanism, which we're controlling, and the digitization of life, you have a little chip here and a chip in your brain controlling your thoughts and your mood so you're in a soma state. We control that also. But our name isn't on any of this. But we control it. Um, so you can just how you want to spend your day until you die. Because it's going to be the same every day. You're not going to be asked your opinion. We've never asked your opinion, by the way. We don't care what you think. We've never cared what you think. And we don't have to do politics anymore because artificial intelligence will give us the answers to everything. So all elections are gone. We control your life. That's where we're at. Right now, we're right there. Absolutely right now, 15-minute cities. Just I'm going to do an expose this week on uh, they're opening up a 15-minute city in California, Northern California. And it's a huge amount of money going in. But everything you'll need in a given day, your food, your entertainment, your clothing, medical care, anything at all, you can get there by walking or biking within 15 minutes but a huge concentration in people, massive amounts of people in a small area. And all you won't be able to get in there unless you go through being chipped, 
and being monitored 24-7, every appliance in your house will be a internet of all things. Your refrigerator, you'll go to open the door refrigerator, you won't be able to do that. It'll tell you what you're allowed to eat and how much. You want to go to the store, you won't be allowed to get in the store until you've been identified, and there'll be a metric system for that. And then it'll tell you what you can and cannot buy. Cash, if they don't like what you want to buy, you can't. So this is the future. Now, this is important because this is trying to be put into effect and people are pushing back. And corruption, they got so arrogant that now we're seeing how corrupt they all were. From Anthony Fauci having a secret meeting that wasn't logged with the CIA to convince them, say that the virus didn't happen in the log that we, laboratory, that we have to be funding that biological gain-of-function research. Say it came from wet market. Yeah, that just came out yesterday. So everywhere we look, we've been lied to, manipulated, and used. So how does this fit into that idea that somehow those who are in power will remain there, what they're telling us we must have and do and think with woke, with identity politics, critical race theory, and cancel culture, somehow we're going to obey that. Our silence does not, does not mean that we've abrogated our capacity for critical thinking. So those are just pieces of the puzzle that the American media and the government never ask you to first identify as legitimate or not, and then put them together and see what kind of Orwellian face is staring back at you. Could you address these, please? Any part of it? Well, there are a lot of different parts to address. Uh, you represent the uh, uh, the monopolies and these billionaires as making profits. Do they really make uh, a profit? Uh, I really uh, don't think if you look at the statistics, they make a profit at all. Uh, if you remember what Leona Helmsley said, only the little people pay taxes. If you make a profit, you have to pay taxes on them. And if you look at uh, Warren Buffett's uh, uh, income tax uh, returns or Apple, you probably think that Apple, being this huge uh, trillion-dollar company, makes a profit. Not a penny. Not a penny. Uh, that's why it doesn't have to pay any income tax. You probably think that uh, landlords, uh, like uh, Donald Trump or uh, BlackRock or other uh, uh, owners of all these rental properties that people are living in, make a profit. Well, not a, not a penny. If you look at the uh, national income accounts for the real commercial real estate sector since 1945, don't find any uh, any income tax at all because commercial real estate doesn't make a profit. Everything is an expense. Uh, Donald Trump said he loves depreciation because you can pretend that you're losing money. All these uh, billionaires uh, that you're talking about, multi-billionaires, all claim they're actually losing money if you look at the statistics. It's just amazing how they make all this money and don't pay uh, income tax here. Uh, they, the, the tax burden is left, you know, who makes a profit? Labor makes a profit. They have to pay income taxes on it. Companies, small companies, have to make a profit. They have to pay uh, an income tax, but not uh, the big money mega companies you've talked to. Uh, and uh, they they make capital gains. They make financial gains. For instance, if you're a Wall Street speculator uh, uh, buying uh, gambling on uh, derivatives or very technical uh, buying and selling uh, stocks short or long, uh, th these are uh, called, they called trading profits, but they're actually the uh, government has changed the wording for them and said, no, that's uh, uh, it's it, it's a kind of a spe uh, ser uh, servicing that uh, they don't have to pay a penny on. Uh, the, the Congress did try to uh, tax these short-term speculative gains, and uh, the Democratic Party said, absolutely not. That's our constituency, the people who are making these uh, trading gains. Not, that's not profit at all. That's just uh, uh, something else. Well, what is this something else? If you look at what Adam Smith and John Stuart Mill and Marx and the whole 19th century uh, uh, developed their value theory of price, value, and rent, they'd say, these companies that you're talking about don't make profits, they're making economic rent. And the concept of economic rent is really clear. It's unearned income. That's what I said before. It's income that you make in your sleep. Uh, the landlords are going to make rents, 
it, but and that's all going to be expense, uh, and uh, or they'll make it offshore. They'll pay a huge amount of uh, income to themselves from. Uh, I guess uh, Apple will uh, do it by having an affiliate in Ireland. Uh, the oil industry will have affiliates in Liberia or Panama. Uh, other industrial companies will have affiliates in uh, the Caribbean and offshore banking centers. So uh, the illusion statistically is uh, there, there's no profits and you can't really follow what's happening uh, statistics. Uh, you mentioned that uh, the, uh, uh, the government uh, doesn't care about uh, what you think. Well, actually, I think the government does uh, care about what you think. That's why they have uh, uh, these uh, test groups uh, to test words. These, uh, uh, what do you call them, uh, uh, the groups where they test, what kind of wording are we going to get for this uh, taking people, uh, 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 not letting them uh, buy their own uh, groceries, not letting them uh, have enough money to spend. Uh, well, they decide that uh, they look at the language and they have their their uh, uh, testing groups and said, well, people want to call this freedom. And so uh, it's not called, uh, you know, what you're describing of total dependency on uh, 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 for housing and other things is uh, that's called freedom, and people will vote for it because uh, what you uh, describe is what you and I and other people used to call subservience or slavery or dependency uh, is now called a free enterprise or freedom. Uh, you mentioned uh, that uh, uh, started by mentioning farmers uh, who can't afford to uh, uh, make. Uh, a living anymore because of Cargill and other big trading companies saying you're only going to get so, so much for your grain or for your corn. Well, uh, this is uh, exactly the kind of system that the United States is trying to impose on uh, Latin America and Africa. And uh, this is big, uh, last in the last week of BRICS discussion, uh, there's a protest by saying the World Bank is not going to uh, lend us money for infrastructure, and the IMF will not lend us money to credit to grow unless we, we uh, let uh, Cargill uh, and the other big companies do agribusiness and use the genetically modified seeds. Uh, and uh, the company, uh, Africans have said, well, you know, uh, we tried these seeds and the crops taste differently than what our people like to eat. We don't want it. And the World Bank says, well, we're going to starve you economically uh, for of credit if you don't follow uh what uh, the agribusiness people want, and they've uh, they brought out uh, uh, build uh, uh, gates uh, to sort of promote uh, all of this. He's been a big promoter of uh, feeding the world. So if you're going to get rid of farm of the family farms that you described earlier, that's called feeding the world or increasing productivity. Uh, so uh, the government does care enough to. Uh, uh, to ask you what you would like to uh, have an economy work on and what phrases, what words, what language and labels uh, would, you, uh, would, would be nicest. And uh, they will put these labels on what they're actually doing. So you're right. They don't uh, care about what you want for policy. They do care about uh, what language uh, they will use to make this policy that they decide sound like it's your policy and your freedom. And all of this is really what the people wants and somehow makes uh, the people uh, uh, better, like uh, uh, what we talked about before, high productivity, uh, high GDP, uh, and the illusion of growth. So we're having a kind of parallel universe here. Uh, you're talking about economic reality. Uh, well, there's really not much room for that in the economics curriculum. Uh, that's one of the reasons I stopped talking at universities. Uh, the economists all would uh, take the information you have, and they they have this uh, 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 test group, uh, uh, linguistics and uh, uh, word, vocabulary for all of this, uh, to make it appear as if uh, they, they have a completely different vocabulary uh, for what you're discussing. And they're attempted to say, yes, we want these rich people to pay profits to make profits, because profits 
are what's taxed, uh, and we want to tax them at a a, a very high rate. Uh, so, uh, and we don't want them to somehow expense all of this and uh, pretend that they're actually making a loss year after year while they're making billions and billions every year. That that's the funny illusion that uh, it's an upside down world that economic vocabulary and uh, the ma mainstream media pick up uh, celebrated professors and Nobel Prize winners uh, to, to give the illusion. So we're talking about an economy of illusion here. I appreciate your input. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I want to thank you very much for sharing your time with us. And uh, I'm not going to ask you now, but I'm going to invite you back to give us your idea what people can do, how we can take back control, especially the middle class, the working middle class, even the poor class. And why is it that the upper middle class, the professional class, the wealthy, the doctors, lawyers, engineers, why haven't they been able to work with the working middle class? There seems to be a disdain. Oh, you're a middle class person. I'm only interested in more. This whole idea that somehow we're all chasing this elusive golden ring of a pleasure on the hedonic scale. If I have more, I'll have happiness. If I have more, I'll have security. If I have more, well, it doesn't work that way. So that's our I do want to say one thing then while you raise the question of middle class. There really isn't a middle class. Uh, there's a, la a labor class. There's a capitalist class. There's a financial class. What does it mean to be middle? Middle class is a uh, euphemism for working class, for a wage earner. Uh, friends of mine are professors at NYU, and they had a meeting there recently, they told me, and uh, uh, they were the professors were asking for less work and uh, uh, higher pay, and they, they didn't want uh, uh, people to be just part-time uh, uh, teachers. And uh, one professor said, they, they must think that uh, we're wage earners. And uh, my friend said, well, that's what you are. You are wage earners. You want to think of yourself as a middle class that somehow you can rise into the rentier class. Somehow, maybe if you're a homeowner, you can uh, uh, rent out a room or buy an, uh, uh, an apartment and rent it out and uh, be a landlord. If you're a working class person and you, you make enough money as a plumber or even as a lawyer at a law firm to... Uh, buy a house uh, to rent out, that doesn't make you part of the landlord class. It means you're able to okay. make rent, but uh, there really isn't a middle class. That's the grand, let, grand illusion. Thank I'm you, Gary. Michael, I'm going to have to invite you back for, which I look forward to, to part two, because there's so much we didn't get into. For example, the de-dollarization by the BRICS nations, the very nations we have boycotted and uh, what is likely outcome over the next three years of this whole this whole phenomena of you will own nothing and you'll be happy? And what's happening with the BRICS nations now? They got all these partners: Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Mexico, Argentina, and they got 20 more countries lining up to be a part of them. They already control the world's supply of minerals that we need for all of our appliances, technology, aircraft. What happens when we just push them too far? They haven't even used their cybersecurity agents yet against us. They could. So shouldn't we be a little smarter in how we're approaching BRICS? I want to get into that in depth. I look forward to that conversation. My guest, Dr. Michael Hudson. I'm Gary Nall. Thank you all for watching and have a nice day. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the end.